yeah, I was very surprised to learn the Chippendale Rescue Rangers features an uncanny valley. Yeah, Jeff Bridges has what they deem uh, Polar Express eyes here in <laughs> Tron Legacy. Boy, does he. Uh, he does indeed. Just the soulless, is he looking at me or not, eyes of something that is not quite man and not quite machine. There is a moment in Game of Death where there is a uh, cutout, superimposed Bruce Lee head on an actor. I forget what the actor's name is, who's playing Bruce Lee for all the cut-up footage to finally put that movie together. And there's an angle or two with the head and the body that are just off enough that I thought a lot about Bruce Lee back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Watch that was really, really distressing. Well, bringing Brandon Lee back from the dead really feels like where all this starts, right? In, in that, in, in finishing the Crow in '94, sort of where a lot of whether it's Grand Moff Tarkin and uh, Rogue Rogue One, yeah, Rogue yeah. One, yeah, and, and Carrie Fisher in Rogue One. Uh, oh, Grand Moff Tarkin in uh, Star Wars Episode Three too. Yes, they did, they did him a couple of times. Right? Did the Peter Cushing bad? multiple times mm. but at 94 is like the first time i can think of right yeah but see that one works so much better because it's sort of a different thing well, too. the makeup thing and most of it was done the yeah. movie was nearly 98 yeah. percent complete and so there's very very little of not brandon lee there's in that not movie over reliance on yeah not brandon lee being brandon lee correct yeah. as opposed to game of death which is a excessive reliance mm. on not bruce lee being well, bruce lee. A, as opposed to this or any de-aging tech where like the Space superimposition is like baked into what you're doing mm-hmm. just by virtue of like what the script says. Right. Um, so it's not like uh, what Ray Wise and Beowulf, which is that Polar, Polar Express, Express yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Which that is a mocap, mocap style situation. of filmmaking. And I guess this was done mocap because I mean, Jeff Bridges was there. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's how all these performances are done yeah. with the, the, the mocap dots. Yeah. Just and for so, face yeah. tracking. But the, the face was not tracked very well. Yeah. Well, and it's uh, it's 2010. It's, I think it has a lot that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. It, There's still a veil between CGI becoming real. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's I don't know. I'm I was trying to think. I wish I'd watched one of the the, the Marvels that like uh like Captain Marvel, like with mm, Sam Jackson. Sam. Like I wish I'd watched a movie that has a also has a lot of de-aging. Well, I mean, I'm a massive fan of the great Ang Lee's cinematic masterpiece known as Gemini Man. Yeah. Which features a a an entire character throughout its two hour runtime that is a de-aged Will Smith. Uh, and I just don't know that it works. No. Doesn't work there. I think the doesn't pro- work in the Irishman either. I think either. the uncanny really doesn't work in the Irishman. I think the, 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 the true issue is not that it's necessarily de-aging. It's that it just is wrinkle remover. Right? Because... Mm. Young Jeff Bridges in Tron Legacy looks like old Jeff Bridges with the wrinkles removed and less like young. We know what young Jeff Bridges looked like. Gotcha. And in Gemini Man, the young cloned Will Smith looks like old Will Smith with the plastic surgery wrinkles removed rather than the fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Gotcha. Right. You know right. I mean? I, and I think that's I think it's kind of... The, it's a Snapchat filter. I think it's uncanny on two levels. One, it's not natural, but two, 
it's not actually a replication of them of as what that person looked like young. as a young person. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, and That's I think our awareness is part of it as well. Yeah. But hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash uh, Makeup Cast, in which we discuss uh, how to remove those pesky wrinkles. Those crow's feet will be removed um, by the end of... No, indeed not. We are going to talk about movies, the movies you would not ordinarily discuss in a film studies course. Uh, this week's film is Tron Legacy, which will never come up ever, really. Ever. <laughs> Unless you're talking about de-aging. Very special circumstances. I mean, yeah. uh, very, very cursed circumstances. And you're low on other options. <laughs> Man, indeed. You're scraping the barrel. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton. And in case you're tuning in for the first time, this is an analysis show, not a review show, and that does mean we're going to spoil it. Not that you care. Not that anyone cares. But we will try to spoil the film um, at the end. So if you have not seen Tron Legacy... 12, 12 years old, this movie is. Yeah. Spoil a 12-year-old Legacy sequel. Um, so if you were on board with this movie, you saw it when it came out. If you were not, like myself, you did not. And, uh, that's kind of where that all lies. What sort of de-aging technology do you think Dustin uses? Uh, stem cells. Just, <laughs> just jacked right into the face. Just <laughs> like Botox, but, but it's stem cells. <laughs> I have no comment. Uh, <laughs> see, he won't tell you. He'll never mm. say. It's his secret. It's the blood of virgins. Um, anyhow. That was my guess. Maybe maybe he's born with it. Maybe mm. it's Maybelline. Yeah. Uh, Who's Maybelline? <laughs> she was very... Hi, I'm Maybelline. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like that a lot. Thank you, Arthur. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm very uncomfortable with this entire conversation. We're going to spoil it. the film. Yeah. But we're not going to do it right away. No. And just in case. I so we'll have synopsis. We'll have light review which will have the light spoilers that are involved in that. Then we'll move on into a little expanding the syllabus exercise we like to do, which might, again, involve some gentle spoilers to more moderate spoilers. And then finally get the most severe spoilers. Mm. And that'll be during our time of analysis with kicky music to let you know that it's about to happen. So you've been warned. Arthur has a synopsis. I would love to hear it. 20 years after the disappearance of his father, Kevin, Sam Flynn is a rebel and a thorn in the side of his father's tech company. But when he receives a mysterious message from his father's old arcade, Sam sets out to discover what really happened all of those years ago. And Killian Murphy's just hanging out in a boardroom on set somewhere. Weird. Weird casting. I got for one very scene. excited when I saw Killian Murphy's. I was like, I forgot Killian Murphy's in this. Yeah. He's barely and in And then this. disappointment ensued for the next hour and 45 minutes. Do you think there's a version of this movie that he's in a lot more of? He should have been in all of it. <clears throat> yeah, I don't understand. Why do you get Killian Murphy? We'll talk about that more in a minute. He jacks in and fights. Oh, that would be good. He should have been like the Master Protocol system reboot. Yeah, from the 2.0 or yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, whatever that was. Yeah, what... Um, he's a better clue than clue. David, he just died. Oh, man. Da- from the first Tron Lord, movie, Lord, the, I don't know. David, oh, he's so good. Oh, now I'm sad. Help me, friends. Well, you must not I'm have liked him that it. much. I'm working. I keep wanting to say David Ayer, and that's not right. Uh, oh, that's definitely not right. Yeah, then that's when my brain is just locked on to the wrong name. Warner, David Warner. Yeah, you got to it. Thank you so much, David Warner, um, from the first Tron movie, yes. who just passed away this yes. last week uh, at the time of this recording. Yes, uh, f- yeah, do the same thing that he does as the evil executive type. Yeah, because well, he's that character. So a lot of this plot, yes, also feels like it is just kind of recycling the original film for the first hour or so. Yeah, so it does seem like there should have just been. 
but Clue kind of takes the place of that character. Yeah, just this program gone awry yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Clue in the first movie? He yes. is. Okay. Barely. Which but, is weird because they talk about his creation here, so it's like, is he a different Clue? Yeah. And you know, it's also missing, I mean, talk about wasted. Bruce, Bruce, Buckle, oh. Bruce Boxleitner is wasted as well because he's Tron. Yeah. And we don't have D.H. Tron, which would have been very fun, and I love Bruce Boxleitner. And, you know, that would have been... Need to have. They don't want to go based the, after him. <laughs> the whole thing's named after him, and they don't want to do anything with him. Yeah, they no. don't want to do the de aging on two people. I don't think. <laughs> is it? Well, I, <laughs> I mean, think it's that simple. This is fair, but I would love to see young, young Jeff Bridges fight young Bruce Boxleitner. That would be very all right with me. I think so. I would. I would have been there for that. Okay. Well, we're already talking about things we don't like. Um, we'll see if we have anything we to say that we do like. Whether or not we like this movie or not, I ask you first, Arthur. What do you think of Tron Legacy? You know, when I picked this movie, I thought it would be bad, like fun bad, uh, <laughs> but it's just bad bad. <laughs> so that was. I'm sorry. Uh, I guess we needed some Hebrew hammer uh, candidates, oh. and so I offered this up on the uh, butchering block. Um, Dalton <laughs> succinctly said. Uh, how could something I think to to kind of paraphrase? How could something that looks this good and sounds this good be this boring? Uh, and, and I think that kind of sums it. Yeah, up. I stand by that. This movie is gorgeous. <laughs> it looks so cool. It looks, it looks better than most big CGI spectacle films coming out today yeah. from Disney. That Daft Punk score oh, kicks that, ass. Look, the last twelve years of film uh, scoring owe a great debt to Daft Punk, Cliff Martinez, and uh, Atticus uh, Ross and, and uh, Trent Reznor. Trent yeah. Reznor. Um, because I'm pretty sure the Stranger Things score oh. heavily pulls from this Daft Punk score. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's part of just that synth wave thing that they're doing. But yeah, I, the score is great. Uh, just the the look of the grid here. Uh, I, I think kind of to, you know, Dustin and I both watched the original two this week. Uh, and there is something very interesting about, I think, the visual design of the original and the technical side of it that carries over and translates really well here. It takes a lot of those really cool concepts from that and updates them. Those weird flying archways look cool. The laser bikes look cool. Light cycles look cool. Sorry. Don't come for me. House of mouse. Um, <laughs> laser the bikes. Grid looks cool. The, 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 the fun of the, uh, the, the disc battle set piece is cool. Uh, the, the weird leather daddy body suits look cool multi-million dollar costume budget on this i think each of those light suits cost like thirty three thousand dollars or something crazy like that Whoa. Yeah, there's something and really they only last like eight, the batteries last like eight minutes about using yeah. practical costumes instead of big yeah. cgi superhero suits it just works man yeah um but the movie this this the story just stalls i, I think that um i would say the first act's pretty exciting you know, yeah. I think Garrett Hedlund gets to have a little fun as this kind of rebel bad boy. Uh, he does the little tech prank at his at the Incom or whatever it's called company. Uh, he does the 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 base jumping off of the building. All that's really cool. He gets to go to his cool hideout. Um, I think that's all kind of fun. Uh, and then the initial moments into Act Two when we get into the grid and we do get the 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 disc battle. We get some of the light cycle stuff like, okay, this is kind of exciting. And then he goes to see Jeff Bridges and it stalls hard. Mm-hmm. Which it shouldn't because some of that stuff is like really cool in theory. And I think, and, and this is kind of the thing with the original too. I, I, I think this isn't quite at, it may be quite as convoluted as the original. I think it's presented in a 
better way than in the original. I think that's fair. Because the the original, you walk in and like, what is happening like five minutes into the movie? This yes. one, it takes a little while and then it just kind of falls apart. Um, And so I, I think those components are really interesting. But the way it just kind of stalls out and, and just becomes so... It, it, it is pulling kind of this mythological, biblical narrative, trying to update that, trying to play with those themes. And it's just so unsatisfying and pedestrian in the way that it's presenting it. And I really think for better or worse, Jeff Bridges is a double-edged sword in this movie. Not, not as young clue, but I think Bridges is a caliber of actor that if you can't come up to his level, it kind of hurts everything around it. Mm, interesting. And when you put a guy like Garrett Hedlund, who's is fine in a scene with a guy like Jeff Bridges, who is kind of operating on another level. A force of nature. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I, I love Jeff Bridges. I think he's a great actor. But if you can't cast to keep up with him, and I think this is really clear in the, the moment where Clue meets with the Michael Sheen character at the club, because whatever movie Michael Sheen is in is the movie I want this to be. <laughs> That's the, what I thought about. The Fifth to... Element. He's in The Fifth yeah, Element. Yeah. yeah He's got this weird David Bowie, Bowie Loki yep. thing going on. David Bowie Loki. David Loki. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, exactly what he's doing. Yes. Well, punching the air for that. I yes. feel like even um, Olivia Wilde is in a much more interesting movie. Yeah, when she shows up, she breathes fresh air into the movie. Well, she's in Blade like, Runner. Well, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And he's in Fifth Element, and I don't know what Jeff Bridges is in. Well, he's he's in Lebowski. Yeah, <laughs> he's in full Lebowski. You're messing with my Zen thing, man. Yeah, is a Lebowski I line. Pretty good, Lebowski. pretty good moments out of Bridges in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> but I I really do think that Garrett Hedlund's fine, and yeah, I think he's that's just fine. I think that's the big problem here. Uh-huh. That and the fact that the narrative isn't that interesting. It it is the most primal, primitive version of good versus evil that can be done, mm-hmm. and it doesn't try to do anything but look like. Look how cool this is in this weird, cool tech grid. I mean, this movie's beautiful. Yeah. It sounds incredible. Great score. So pedestrian. And and I just can't buy into this relationship. I can't buy into Garrett Hedlund. You know, we joked off air that he had to be really mad when the Hollywood Chris has shown up because at least three of the four could have opened this and it would have been much more satisfying it's and energetic. He's, he's good in other stuff. Yeah. Which is what makes it so weird. I wonder if he's a support guy. He's not, he doesn't have that leading char- charisma, I think. I, I don't think he has the gravitas uh, to do that. It's just an entire generation of leading men with no Him charisma. and Taylor Kitsch. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're in the same mm-hmm. class. Yeah. yeah. They can't open a movie, and they, they just don't have... They're good in other stuff, but for whatever reason, yeah. yeah, they don't have that, like, leading a blockbuster thing. Yeah. I mean, this movie did well. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't know if that's a buy-in from... Uh, I, I'm not a Tron person. I went and saw it in theaters because it looked cool. Yeah, I, don't I must have had a lot of free time going on in 2010 because yeah. I saw this too and I had no interest whatsoever in the original. Film. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know where, you know, I don't know if it was just like a, a rule of cool that people came to see this. And, and I know general audiences, I think I, I had friends who really dug it. It's got a bit of a cult following yeah. now. It's, it's, and I know people with love the original it. Tron, but you know? I just, hmm. neither of them, I, I can't buy into. So for me, this is just a, a miss and a half. All right. Well, Dalton, what do you think about Tron Legacy? I mean, yeah, from the opening, like, info dump slash catch up, I was like, oh, this is going to be a long two hours. Like, when anytime a movie has to open on, this is what you missed on Tron 1. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> last time here, on here we Dragon go. Ball Z. Here we fucking go. Yeah, <laughs> long two. And then and then the, the reveal. They really do keep 
de-age Jeff Bridges hidden for quite a bit before they, they give you the uh, the full, uh, fully lit look at his face. And I, I'm right there with you, Arthur. It just doesn't look good. Uh, it looks really bad, and it is so distracting. There's a reason they hide it as much as they do. They put Clue under a helmet anytime they can for good reason because it just looks bad. It just looks no good. It looks uh, like a video game. Uh, and it just, there's a, that lack of verisimilitude just really hurts the movie. And I think you're right. I think a lot of it has to do with it. It looks like uh, a Snapchat filter. It looks like mm. Jeff Bridges with the wrinkles removed, not young Jeff Bridges. Yeah. I think you, that really nails it. Uh, I, I can't think of much to say that Arthur hasn't already uh, said really well. Yeah. It, it, and again, as I said on Letterboxd, it looks and sounds great, but it's just boring. You know, there, there's a lack of excitement in this film. And I, you know, I can point to things like um, the fight scene in the, the club that you mentioned. Just dog shit. Just absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. The light cycles are kind of cool. I mean, they're, for every, like, action beat in this movie that fails, there is at least one that works. And that is sort of what's interesting is, like, e- even with some action beats that still work, this is not an exciting action adventure film somehow. Um, I don't know who this movie's for. I can't tell. They, and it seems like Disney can't figure out who they're making this movie for. It, it, it's interesting and as sort of a pre MCU, pre star Wars acquisition world where Disney is trying to get, uh, the little boy money. Uh, it, it's interesting that Tron is what they felt like they had to go back to. Uh, so for, from that aspect, just like as far as like Hollywood history, I think that makes this movie kind of interesting but Mm -hmm. it's just it's a failure and i i feel like it's it's lost in being more complicated for adults and be keeping it on a child level like it's just it's got its foot in two different worlds the whole time and it never kind of commits to one or the other uh because it sure does like to linger on how hot some of these programs are uh, that doesn't feel like a children's movie decision and it likes to sit, do things like say dad's going to go knock on the sky and see who answers or see what happens. Yeah. That's a little too heady for a kid. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. That's, like, that's a fun yeah. line. Yeah. yeah. Like, so again, there's moments in, in scenes in this movie that work and the, the score is truly incredible throughout, but it just, it's flat. Uh, mm-hmm. pedestrian was a way you phrased it, Arthur. And I think that that's, that's definitely something, uh, to that uh but oh, i forgot about this line bio dis bio digital jazz man it means nothing no jeff bridges, d- jeff bridges it, makes it seem like it means something but i love it yeah I, I love that line i but again we've got concepts like self-replicating or self-creating programs within this computer world that we just don't like spend any what are the isometric algorithms and that what they're called mm-hmm yeah. ISOs? ISOs. Yeah. We don't know any we don't know what that means. We don't explore just that. Just buzzword after just, buzzword. We're just throwing out a cool it idea. Sounds cool. And then there was a digital genocide at some point between movie one and movie two that we just sort of breeze over. Yeah, there's a well, there's, there's a, a digital genesis between them because it doesn't even happen in the first movie either. There's yeah. a cartoon series that kind of acts as a oh. in between quill. No, thank you. On I Disney Plus. I, I did not know about yeah. the in between quill. Yeah, it's like we were on. I saw it on Disney Plus. It's like twelve episode season, I think, and I was like, "Nah, I'm good." <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. I've I'm seen fine. enough Tron for my life. No, I'm. I'm also. Very I don't fine. need to go back to the grid. No, I don't think I'll be going back to the grid anytime soon. Uh, yeah, I. I can't believe I saw this movie in theaters, and I can't believe I've been forced to watch it again. And now I'm gonna have to try to say smart things about it, Dustin. What do you think about Tron Legacy? It's bad. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's real bad. Uh, here's the thing. This is what didn't work about the original Tron. 
Tron itself was an R&D project to try new technologies before they're really ready for the cinema screen. And Tron Legacy is trying to use only one digital technology. One new thing. One new thing. And so in that sense, it is able to do a little bit more with development as far as plot and pacing, but not much, because it really is a vehicle for the technology. And that's, that's, that is what it is. It's a vehicle for the visual technology. It's R&D for films that are going to come up later. And if that is your... You know, you're raison d'etre. Yeah, if that's why you're doing this, then it succeeds. If it's a movie, it does not sequelize at all what we saw before, nor does it in any way sort of um, give itself over to the legacy. It's neither a sequel film nor a legacy film. It's a, it's it's not a legacy sequel at all. It's just another movie that just happens to have some of the same stuff going on in it that was in the first movie. And so, yeah, it it, it is um, Dead on Arrival. It really is. It's stillborn as a film. Though, again, there are moments in it that are great. It does look good. The music is great. It has all the great ideas of what great movie making will make itself look like in the next five years. Uh, it, it works towards the goal of what's going to end up happening with CGI and other technologies, integrating them into practical effects for the realism that you experience in all the Avengers Marvel movies or whatever. I mean, it definitely is sitting in that, that pocket of like, we, we've, you know, we've released the Star Wars prequels. We've made Sin City. We've made Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? This is a movie that stands on the shoulders of other digital backdrop movies and, like, makes it work mm-hmm. as far as, like, the, the visuals go. Right. Yeah. It, but then it, it, they don't bother with story. Of course, they didn't bother with story the first time. So, I mean, what do you expect? And so it, it, is, it is better than the original and still pretty bad. That well, is my conclusion. Plenty of movies don't bother with the story and are still good. Yeah, and you know, that's a, I mean, it's a good idea to take an original that's not great and then do something more with it, or yeah. take you know to remake it or to sequelize it. I mean, you can look at the the 1950s The Fly versus Cronenberg's The Fly from the 1980s. Go, this is an incredible film. You can look at Howard Hawks's The Thing, which is good, but it's even better when a John Carpenter takes the helm uh, with Kurt Russell later on. I mean, there there is potentiality there. Cape Fear from Scorsese, another good example of this kind of stuff, where you take an original film that's fine and then you really really give it the the glossy glossy um excellent uh, artistic treatment and in many ways it is a very glossy glossy artistic improved treatment visually even but that the, there's just not enough there there for it. there's too many pieces and there's other great movies that are inside of it there is that fifth element movie there is uh, a, a version of prometheus that's inside this film that would mm. be much more interesting. Um, add one fastbender, and you might actually have gotten what you needed, honestly. But there's there's a lot of potentiality for that, but it just doesn't quite ever rise to the bar. And uh, but it does again meet uh, an audience popcorn desire better than the original. So there you go. I don't like it very much, but it is better than Tron, which is a half hour shorter and feels like an hour and a half longer. So it's nuts to me that this is somebody's first movie. Well, it's absolutely bananas that they gave a movie this big to somebody for their first go. And maybe it's the lack of like a established visionary. Mm-hmm. You know, you referenced The Fly and The Thing. And I mean, those are both remakes with, you know, real uh, chutzpah in the director chair. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, that lack of a vision is what makes this fall short or what. Yeah, I don't know much. What, what is jo- Joseph Koinsinski? Kaczynski? K- K- yeah. That looks like Kaczynski to me. Um, he did... 
Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, he, he did oh, a, he did it was an investment that paid off because he's making a lot of people a lot of money right now. Yeah. Okay, well, he made somebody else happy later on, so there you go. Well, he did uh, Oblivion. Is, I think doing Oblivion with Tom I Cruise. I am curious. Yeah. How much Tom Cruise's involvement in Maverick helped make... Th- I, I'm Essentially, how much of Top Gun Maverick did... Is he Tom Orson Welles? Is he mm-hmm. doing the Orson Welles things of Carol Reed? Is that what you're wondering? Kind of possibly, yeah. Because mm. I mean, well, he's got his Spiderhead hasn't with. done well, no, critically, yeah, on Netflix, sort of a mixed bag. And Tron is kind of a mixed bag. So I, Oblivion I, was sort of, and a mixed I also bag. know that Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise and gets to kind of do and say and do what he wants, and made demands on. We need to film this way. We need to shoot this way. We're gonna get in these cockpits and we're going to do it the way we do it. And well, that's, so I it kind of feels like Tom Cruise, like we're making this movie. Kaczynski's along for the ride to make sure it gets captured. And I think them working on oblivion together is how it happens, right? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 They build that relationship. Tom Cruise decided he was in the Joseph Kaczynski business, uh, because yeah. Kaczynski could well, hang like with Chris McQuarrie. Right? Yeah, exactly. He just, he figures out which filmmakers are going to be in the Tom Cruise business and he gets, you know, gets behind them. Yeah. And how much of that is Tom Cruise and how much is that the director? You know, I th- I think is a really interesting conversation and dissection to have. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, those are our thoughts. We don't like it very much, but we might have things to say. We might have things to say in terms of constructing a class or module of a class around it in a thing we call expanding the syllabus. Dalton, can you explain what expanding the syllabus is all about? I sure can, Dustin. So we've already posited that this is the show where we talk about the movies you wouldn't discuss in a film studies course. Correct. We are now going to invent film studies courses or other academic courses where we would teach... God help us, Tron Legacy. We shouldn't. But we're going to. We're doing it right now. That's the part of the show you're in. It's called Expanding the Syllabus, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to say, here's a syllabus that includes Tron Legacy, and tell you what else would be on it. There you go. So, with that, Dalton, do you have a syllabus prepared for the day? I do. So, back when we did the net earlier this summer, Mm -hmm. I did a a class that was about internet thrillers. Mm -hmm. uh, And Mm -hmm. using, it was less of a film studies course and more of a class about the internet. I was going to use sort of internet thrillers to talk about the internet and our evolving relationship with it. Uh, this is a class that would also would be about movies about the internet. Uh, and this would be more of a film study centric course, looking at films that use the filmmaking language to uh, explore or um, explain some aspect or some facet of digital culture, some aspect of the internet and what it, what it does to us, um, how we use it. Um, so we'd look at, uh, Zola, the Genexa Brava film, which I talked about in our, my, our top 100 that we just finished. I think that film does a really great job of capturing the feel of the internet, uh, as uh, well as everything everywhere all at once. Another film that made my top 100. I think both of these films in very different ways, try to kind of capture the chaotic mm. feeling of being online of a lot of input coming your way at once. And uh, I, I think both of those films do a really good job, uh, using visual language to communicate, that sort of increase, uh, that that sort of super rapid intake of information. Uh, I think both of those films do do a a really good job of uh, exploring that. I would also look at uh, the film Assassination Nation. I know you're a fan of that one, Arthur. Um, But uh, I think that film explores uh, social media in really interesting ways. And speaking of social media, we'd have to look at the social network um, and uh, the Bo Burnham films, Eighth Grade and Inside. I think both of those do a really great job. Uh, I, I mean, that's that's sort of what he's been interested in for the last several years of his career, uh, sort of 
picking apart the internet and internet culture, which makes sense. You know, somebody who got their start uh, in the entertainment industry through the internet, I think it makes sense that that's what they want to explore. But again, I think what all of these films have in common is a really, and it helps that these are all filmmakers who are, you know, not necessarily digital natives, uh, which is a fucking term I, I've heard and hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <clears throat> as a term I understand, I understand why somebody would use that language. Uh, but these are all filmmaker films from younger filmmakers who, with the exception of The Social Network being like the only sort of Gen X movie on this list, I feel like the filmmakers and all these other films are, you know, more in the millennial generation. But even, you know, sort of looking at uh, Fincher and... Um, not oh my god i almost called him zucker sorkin venture and sorkin working together on the social network are more interested in sort of uh the businessy side of the internet right they're not really interested in the internet side of the mm-hmm. internet of, the, of that story but i think all of these films do a really good job of exploring how the internet is affecting culture how it's changing culture and um i i think that's a really hard place for movies right now is f- figuring out how to deal. That's why I think we've got so many period pieces of, and I don't mean, you know, like costume dramas. I mean like film set 30 years ago. I think we're getting more and more media set before the internet because it's kind of hard to reckon with the internet from a storytelling point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think all of these films find a way to do that very well. And I, I think we could look at these films as kind of touchstones of how do you deal with the internet? How do you, treat that as a reality of, of the modern world and still tell a compelling story that, that treats that as just part of the backdrop of life. And I, I think all these films do that really well. Very cool, very cool. What does your syllabus look like, Arthur? <laughs> well, all of them except for Tron Legacy, I guess I should clarify, which, you know, is we'll, we'll look at how Tron Legacy is exploring the internet when we get uh, down to business, I think. Okay. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there, Arthur. Did you find a syllabus for Tron Legacy? Uh, yeah, 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 I guess. I'm going to pick the low-hanging fruit here, um, uh, because I want to talk about the legacy sequel, uh, yeah. which is kind of a term that's come to prominence in the last seven years or so since Matt Singer, I think, coined it over at Screen Crush uh, in an article called Welcome to the Age of the Legacy Sequel, uh, which primarily focused kind of on, uh, I think, a trifecta of um, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, this Tron legacy, and... Uh, the Force Awakens, which came out in 2015. Um, I think, though, uh, for me, you know, we kind of dumped on uh, this movie quite a bit, and I think that's valid. Uh, but I do think it's still somewhat important in the timeline. One, as kind of the ur text, I think, of the Legacy sequel. Hey, they got Legacy in the name. Two, I uh, already alluded to that Daft Punk score. I, I, I do think Daft Punk scoring this is pretty big uh, for movie scores for the next decade. Uh, but also for Jeff Bridges' career. I, I think it does kind of reignite him because from here we get True Grit. That's the same year, right? True Grit is 2010 Around well. here, yeah. yeah 2010 is so a good year It for feels him. like kind of a, a resurgent for Jeff Bridges yeah. uh, to go back to this role. Um, and so I, I do think, you know, flaws and all, it, it does have an interesting historical context that is somewhat maybe important, at least from a production and, and auditory level. Uh, but yeah, we talked about the legacy sequel. Um, and so we started, I think, with Matt Singer's article there where he talks about this term of what is a legacy sequel and kind of does this kind of genre definition thing, um, which you don't see often. Um, but it does a new kind of cycle that maybe isn't necessarily new, uh, but does become much more commonplace 
by 2015. Uh, and so first off, I think we would talk about The Color of Money, um, which is uh, Tom Cruise, Paul Newman, which is a follow-up to The Hustler, uh, wherein we've got a new character who comes in to uh, sit at the learning tree of Paul Newman's Hustler character. Um, and I, I think the thing about the Legacy sequel that we see to find is typically uh, we get a new protagonist who interacts with the protagonist of yep. the original film is kind of the main trope that defines these films. Uh, from there, we would look at, obviously, I think Star Wars The Force Awakens, which does this uh, primarily, uh, kind of sits at the learning tree of A New Hope, for better or for worse. Uh, and then we would talk about Prometheus. You brought that up. I didn't think about it, but mm. obviously that is one that kind of, <laughs> wink, wink, isn't an alien a film. Like wink, a wink. prequel? Yeah, it's a weird yeah. movie, right? Um because, yeah, it does kind of serve both roles. It's kind of one of the good ones. Oh, it's, it's, it's a good movie. Man, it's a good movie. Yeah, you know what? I think I think history has been kind to Prometheus. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, the, years, the years have been good to its uh, critical reception. I, I go to bat for it. I, I like that movie quite a yeah. bit. Um, it's just really playing in that. That aesthetic again that is so good. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we'd obviously talk about Creed, uh, which yes. talked about a couple weeks ago, which I think is probably the best example of the Lega sequel. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. Because not only does it give us the path and passing of the torch to a new character, but also really recontextualizes it with a, you know, in, in the culture of Apollo Creed. And uh, it's able to really do some cool stuff with that. And through that adds a lot of new thematic layers, I think to that story while still following the blueprint in a way that makes sense. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road, we might talk about, or we may talk about why it feels like a legacy sequel, but maybe isn't a legacy sequel because it does feel very much in the same vein of revisiting this old property. But is Max Roxas Dazanski in uh, Fury Road the same that is played by Mel Gibson. Is he a different character? You know, there, there are kind of questions about that continuity there, uh, which I think kind of muddies the water a little bit in interesting ways. Uh, we talk about Blade Runner 2049, which again, maybe next to Creed is the better example of these films and the way they play. Uh, we talk about Dr. Sleep again, in a way of muddying the waters, I think, because again, kind of figuring out what is a yeah, sequel. Yeah, yeah. And really kind of playing with that because is it a sequel? I mean, it, it is a sequel, but it's Danny's story now, but he also has to engage with the Overlook and with Dan Torrance. And we have no real returning elements from the original in this one, really. Yeah. We, we use some right, visual iconography, but there's no returning actors or anything. Correct. You right. know, it's the characters return, but yeah. new actors. New actors. Really, instead of de-aging Jack Nicholson, we, we have, have somebody else playing Jack, Jack Nicholson as playing, Jack Torrance. Yeah. yeah. It's a really interesting way of doing that. And then the same with Shelley Duvall, right? Mm -hmm. and right. That character. And um, Scatman Carruthers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Carruthers died in, what, the 80s? 90s? Uh, a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and then we'd probably finally wind up at, we might talk about Top Gun Maverick, uh, because I think it, uh, again, muddies those waters where in the protagonist of the original, still a protagonist, but there is kind of this passing of the baton with a legacy character in, uh, Miles Teller's 
Son of Goose. I can't think of his name. Son of Goose. <laughs> Goose and Son. Uh, but we'd probably end up at... That is the movie I would go see. Is son of Goose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Abbott Costello meet the Son of Goose. Oh, uh, man. Uh, with a de-aged, digitally recreated Abbott and Costello. Yeah. Oh, yes, please. Right. Uh, man, what a world. I mean, it's going to happen in 10 years anyway. <laughs> uh, I, I just want to be at the uh, front of the, the cashier's line cashing my checks for writing that movie. Um, and then we'd probably wind up at Scream 5 with which, uh, in its madness, you know, calls out and names the legacy sequel in the script and what a legacy sequel does and how that plays and factors in. So it, it, it kind of feels like the natural endpoint for this discourse. I mean, these movies are going to keep getting made, yeah. but I, I mean, what else can we do with them? What else can be said about them? How do we subvert them? You know, and Scream Six, 5 plays in that realm and, and to mix success, I think. Can we so. take a pit stop and have you explain to me how Scream 5 is different than Scream 4? Because Scream 4 is kind of well, doing Scream that. 4 is a reboot. Ah, I see. Reboot and Sydney's still the main character, That's primarily, true. I think. Okay. Everything oper- you know, we do get a lot of, we, we get all these other characters who get a lot of primary time, but Sydney is still kind of key. Well, those definitional questions are part of the discourse of the course, Yeah, right? I think so. so yeah. right? But in Scream 5... We have a new cast of characters who are being traumatized who have to go to mm. Sydney and Gale and Dewey, and primarily Dewey at first. I mean, Sydney's much more minimalized in, in Scream 5. Interesting. Until okay. the kind of last half, last third of the film. Okay. And Dewey's really the main anchor from the original cast. Gotcha. Uh, and, and so I think it is that element, right? It is a new cast of characters who have to return and seek help from the legacy characters, which makes this a legacy sequel rather than what Scream 4 does as a reboot. Gotcha. When I guess we do have the question of where's a reboot versus what is a legacy sequel because typically reboots are going to be same property, new characters, new world, new, new ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Versus a legacy sequel, which is within that same continuity, new characters, old characters meet to yeah, which is, I, I guess that where which gives you the David Gordon Green Halloween movies, right? right which gets those us are into reboot and legacy sequel at the same time. Yeah, and also Star Trek. Yeah, right. J.J. Yeah. Abrams because fully reboot and then old Spock's there. Yeah, you got which Leonard messes Nimoy. it up. Mm-hmm. It makes it a legacy sequel, sort of question mark. Yeah, hi boys. <laughs> How would you construct a course with this? Well, good Mickey Mouse for Disney. Um, oh. <laughs> hey, Pluto. I didn't uh, say she was crazy. I said she was goofy. <laughs> um, I think I'm also going to choose some low-hanging fruit and just looking at the uh, development of various technologies in cinema, uh, particularly in science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would begin with the first all-electronic score in film uh, back in 1958, Forbidden Planet. And uh, looking at that movie, Robbie the Robot, Leslie Nielsen, um, Freud and uh, movies, so good times. Uh, with that, it's a really, really kind of fun, pretty movie to look at anyway, so I like it a lot. Moving on to 1972, we're going to see Will Brenner and his face come off in Westworld. This is the first use of digital computer technology uh, in film, and then we'll move on into the 80s. Really? I didn't know that. Yep, first time ever. Cool. Uh, computer-generated technology, as far as the visuals, first time in Westworld. Is that for the effect of removing Yul Brynner's face? Correct. Cool. My understanding, yes. Cool. Uh, so, moving on, I think Tron is a great example of a heavy reliance on con- computer-generated imagery uh, for the film. Uh, Tron, the original. Uh, moving forward, further forward, uh, CGI, CGI characters. No, I'm not going to go to the first CGI character complete in 1999, which was Star Wars, but in 1993, the CGI used 
used for the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Uh, that's that's just obviously something that really works very, very well. And then moving on into our de-aged film faces of Tron Legacy uh, for the end. And just sort of tracing some of these various technologies, how they developed, how they uh, are pretty uncanny. Westworld does not look real awesome, but it worked in many ways for audiences originally. And just, again, sort of negotiating those various ways in which uh, science fiction goes electric. Uh, from folk music, sci-fi, uh, gotcha. uh, forced perspective, to uh, the full-out uh, electrified sci-fi that we end up getting at with, again, Westworld, Forbidden Planet, uh, Jurassic Park, Tron's both. There you go. That's the class. Cool. Fun times. Um, low-hanging fruit, because what else am I going to say about this? I don't know. You don't want to do religious reading? I don't know. Uh, all right, so with that, I believe it's time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. Do you want to give a religious reading? Uh, 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 so uh, in the Wikipedia page, uh, there's a great discussion of uh, Olivia Wilde, right? Yeah. Okay, I get her mind mixed up all the time. Ah, yeah. Um, Olivia Wilde uh, is quoted as saying that she took great inspiration for her character from the the one and only Joan of Arc. Um, how do we feel about that? Where's Where's that lie in this whole thing? Right the uh, the person on a mission from God. Mm. Uh, I, I think partially um, handicapped by the fact that Olivia Wilde doesn't have much to do in this movie. No, she has very other than to do. move the plot along. Move the plot along and look hot. Yeah. Those are her two jobs. Those are their jobs. Yeah. That is one of those secret motivations that she kept too secret. Yes. In her performance. The, well, you, you mentioned she's in a different... Or you mentioned... Yeah. Somebody mentioned she's in a different movie. She's in a Joan of Arc movie, which is significantly more interesting than this movie. Yeah. Yes. I think she's in the same movie as... Uh, Michael Sheen? Him, yeah, I almost called him uh, Ed Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael Sheen. I think, that would have been fun. Yeah, right. I don't know. Michael Sheen is in this is doing this fun over the top thing, and and she is Olivia Wilde's doing a thing that is is very much like this is a sentient computer program. She's doing yeah. a real bright eyed and bushy tailed sort of. I've only talked to two people yes. performance. She feels very much like Joy in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, or uh, Manny in Swiss Army Man. You know what? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a like a pluckiness yeah. to that character that is sort of uh, not been beaten down by uh, the, the, the unbearable weight of existence. <laughs> <laughs> she's not talking to the sky, hoping it, knocking on the knocking on the sky yet. Yeah, not yet. She's she's learning about knocking on the sky. Can we? But she becomes a real person. Well, Maybe? yeah, yeah. She, 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 she leaves the matrix. She leaves the matrix and becomes a fully embodied flesh human. I think the religious you, overtones are more heavy and prominent in the original, right? A lot more user, program, angels, demons type stuff. I mean, a little bit, but it's still not like my created thing. It's, it's not like Blade Runner, yeah. you know, in which, you know, I'm trying to, you know, find my maker kind of thing. Mm -hmm. There's references to makers. Tron Legacy posits, uh, what if Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene got into a fight in a club? Uh <laughs> that is true. That is sort of a thing that happens. That is a thing that happens. Yeah. It, I always pictured that with better fight choreography, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but that's just me. This is the My live reenactment of the tables being thrown in the temple. It, yeah. <laughs> okay, but here's an interesting thing, though. It's funny you should say that. 
because there is some stuff about a free and open internet in this movie. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is sort of okay, interesting. Okay, I like that. That first act there where we're talking about the Ubuntuization yeah, of the, pre, the Microsoft the OS. The pre-Bill Gates internet. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that. Yeah. Like, like give, me, give me that open source code that's going to be shareable to everybody, and it's going to be secure and free. It is going to be, well, it's going to be a Linux system. You know, um, it's a great advertisement for Linux. Uh, but then what? Yeah, we don't really do anything with those ideas. I know we get we get to Clue, sort of the totalitarian computer verse of Clue, and and there's nothing, there's no there there. They don't really posit that Jeff Bridges has an alternate ideology. It's just that he was in, infatuated with these new beings, these isometric algorithms, that these sort of sentient beings born from inside of the grid, and Clue didn't like them because they were programs without purpose. I don't know. The Matrix does this so much better. The Matrix <laughs> makes program as character like work so much more cohesively. And this this just like is doing it all wrong and in a way that is, is so much harder to get your head around. And I know that's a, a complaint levied against the Matrix sequels. Yeah. Sort of like the denseness of the computer lore is a little too much. But I don't know. I feel like they do I a need good more job. Lore. Like Seraph is a is a handshake program, right? Right. Like is a is a captcha like that. That makes sense. And then uh Sati is is the the program without purpose, the program that was just made from love. Mm-hmm. Like the, this this idea can be done. You can make a science fiction film that has pro- computer programs that are characters. But what do we come to know about Olivia Wilde and the other the last isometric algorithm? We don't really learn anything about them or like what their deal is. Uh, you, you know, it's funny. There's a quote here on the the Wikipedia page from somebody. Uh, Bailey. I don't remember who this is. One of the writers or producers, maybe. Uh, uh, it, it says, do you know it? Are you interested, I guess, talking to Kaczynski or somebody? Uh, what would your take be in a post-Matrix world? How do you go back to the world of Tron? Mm. The answer is you can't. No. Right. Because the Matrix. Yeah. Like you said. The Matrix did Tron better. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Yeah, absolutely right. I think that's the problem. Yeah. All the interesting philosophical ideas that you can mine from this this premise have mm-hmm. already been done so in a way that works incredibly well. Well, the interesting thing that they could do is to do the Prometheus before Prometheus. That is where they could have gone with the film, where you have the maker and confrontation with the maid and that whole Blade Runner kind of thing. Um Which there's an element of that storyline here with Clue and, and Jeff Bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, Elder Flynn, right? There's some element of that in their their rivalry, their conflict, but it's not really dwelt on at all. Right. Well, they need to get Ridley Scott to direct. That's what they need to do. (laughs) Well, I I don't know that. I think the interesting part of this movie is the first act, right? It is this kind of corporate espionage. Mm -hmm. It's 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 uh, Sam Flynn versus Killian Murphy. Yeah, versus legacy versus legacy. Exactly. They had to go to the Matrix to save Jeff Bridges for whatever reason, just to get Jeff Bridges back. But they drop the the conflict of the first act of this movie as soon as they go to the Matrix. Absolutely, yeah. To create a completely different movie. There are two movies here. Yeah. One of them is interesting, and then one of them is the movie that we it's get. It's pretty, yeah. Yeah. And I think that corporate espionage, the, the information, internet programs for the people versus the corporatization of that is the interesting movie. Mm-hmm. And it just 
they they decide to yes go pretty and cool and look at what we can do with computers now. Well, I think freeware, um, you know, free intellectual property is from something a corporate <laughs> from the house of mouse is not going to be a likely yeah. story. To I go think with. I, yeah, I think similar problems arise much later when they do Free Guy too. Right? It is you can't really posit a movie about you know small indie companies doing cool stuff when you're the house of mouse and you can't talk about giving away free resources when you're the house of mouse it it just rings hollow yeah, yeah. it's it is we i was talking to, to nick uh sanford about this mm-hmm. recently uh, about how many movies there are that are like big corporations with pseudo and we've talked about this on the show before right how many big studio movies there are with sort of anti-corporate anti-capitalist messaging and it just jurassic park yeah mm-hmm. big time most of them at some level, that's like a theme yeah. in every one of the Jurassic Park movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and again, it's it's here, right? It's it's right there in that opening first act, but it's just sort of mm, tossed yeah. to the side because the movie knows it doesn't really have anything to say about it. Well, and this confused messaging is not new. You know, Arthur made yeah. a comparison while we were in the chat watching the movie early on about this in Metropolis from yeah. Fritz Long, mm. and Fritz Long. I mean, Metropolis also has a sort of Mitt Romneyization of the corporate savior who's going to do a kinder, gentler kind of capitalism by the end of it. That this is what the corporate machine can do, but we can do it nicer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, honestly, Metropolis works better on that level than this one does because it, as you say, drops the idea. I mean, our our main character just simply becomes the new CEO. The end. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's, he, make that, he makes it seem like that's his intent as he's going to go to work the next day he's gonna take his place as part of the company i don't know a lot about uh you know boards yeah Um, i think being the main shareholder allows you to just walk in and say i'm ceo is that how it i don't think you can do that i don't i'm not sure but i know you have that voting power on the board but i I don't think you can just walk in and be like i'm the captain now yeah look at me (laughs) i'm the captain now i don't think i don't think it works that way i don't think you can pirate them out of it no i think uh, that w- especially if they've gone public, I, I well, don't think. Especially if you like literally the day before messed up a big product <laughs> launch. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if they're gonna. Even if you're the main shareholder, I don't think yeah. you're gonna walk away scot free. Yeah, weird. It's, uh, well, you know, the first movie, movie does the same thing. They figure out that uh, the guy who was the uh, chief vice president had stolen the uh, the copyright to the video games that uh, Jeff Bridges originally designed. Yeah. And it was revealed that they were his designs first, and now he runs the company. <laughs> he automatically just gets the other guy's yeah, position and, and, now and I, owns the company or something. I own the company now. You've yeah. been fired for plagiarism, and now you take... It's a little yeah. more plausible there, though, because he proves fraud. Right. So conceivably, like, okay, yeah, now you're this... Well, David Warner gets fired. Yeah. Sure. But and I could conceivably see them hiring him. You you, you avoid some lawsuits. But he would be... <sighs> and then, yeah, he works his way up to president, owner. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I think it's a lot less plausible here. Yeah. That part. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, but... I, I do... Yeah, I, I think there are similar problems and jumps in the original but have we become the people alfred hitchcock hates are we becoming the plausibles no i don't think so because that's not a big holdup for me I, I i think it is a you know a plausibility issue you know i i don't really get wrapped up in that and like no we're, that's we're, not the thing that's keeping c- me from enjoying this movie we're cinema <laughs> haters over here we don't care yeah we're not we're not, we're not keeping track of the cinema i don't really care about plot holes that's yeah. not a thing that keeps me from watching movies Same. correct yeah I, I think it's kind of you know at the end of this movie is like I don't think he could walk in and do, you know, but it's not like, 
I'm not disavowing this movie for that one scene. I'm disavowing yeah. this movie because I don't care. An hour and thirty minutes of it are bad. Yeah, and uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Again, it's pretty good to look at. Good action. I'm, yeah, I love. Well, some, I love me some light is cycles. Is the action that good? It, it, well, exactly. the action is okay. There's a couple of bits that are pretty okay. Yeah, yeah. The stuff, you know, the what is it? Uh, I can't remember what what he calls it in Save the Cat, right? The uh, the, bits the, of business, yeah. The thing you come to see, right? The thing the trailers are made of. The, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, in, the introduction to the the grit. That stuff is cool. Yeah, everything kind of after that is. Yeah, not it's get, getting suited up, having his first disc battle, the light cycle. Yeah, that's exciting. That, that sequence is pretty cool. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that I love the weird robot-y way those ladies walk, even if the whole sequence is a little too sexy for a children's film. Right. Uh, yeah. Again, who's this movie for? Twelve-year-olds. Yeah. I don't know. I, I well, when I was twelve, I guess I would have wanted a sexy computer lady to laser my clothes off of me, but I also probably would have been a little scared at the prospect. <laughs> I have no girls still had cooties. I don't know, man. Like I was scared of everybody when I was twelve. <laughs> I'm scared of everybody most days. I don't know. <laughs> Things yeah, haven't changed. I don't know if I'm better or worse now. Yeah, it's hard to say. But that's that's what this movie just like is for no one. It, it's it's not for Tron fans because Tron's not even in it really. Tron's one is the the henchman's heavy. He's he's or he is the heavy. Well, no, he's is, the good guy. He's well, the he's, he's the heavy, heavy now. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, it's a weird movie because you you kind of alluded to this earlier in, in saying that it's in a post prequels post mc or pre MCU mm, pre Star Wars sequels. But, yeah, I mean it, it's in a weird place because the MCU has started. Yeah, in Disney full, just hasn't. But Disney hasn't acquired it yet. Yeah, but this movie starts getting developed in two thousand and five, yeah. which is pre marvel iron well, man but post let's say treasure planet right like disney has been on the the hunt for boy money for yeah. a, for 20 years at, and at it, that point it is a moment of what's in the what's in the backlog that we can make cool yep yep right what, what do we already have yeah what's an ip that we've got so it's it's interesting to sort of and they went to a rather unsuccessful it had a cult following that has a cult following i mean i mean warner brothers does the same thing with blade runner 2049 right like yeah that's every company i think disney is sort of on the first wave of it but every company looks at their ip roster and goes what can we go back to yeah um it's just interesting that w- what disney chose chooses to go back to and like again this this movie makes money but doesn't do the business they want it to do so they acquire their competition they, yeah. yeah, they they make a four billion dollar investment in Star Wars and say we're going to make Star Wars for the rest of forever because yeah. that's that's where the money's at. It's, yeah. it is interesting. Yeah, I, I would love to see Disney go back to something like the Black Hole. Do you guys remember this movie from the seventies? I'm the, familiar with that. Yeah. It. It's got these floating robots. It's yeah. really terrifying, blender handed, you know, uh, monster. It was really impressive sort of imagery, but it was real Swiss Family Robinson kind of values as far yeah. as production goes. And I mean, there's probably more there there for something like that and exploring, you know, new science on black holes. Yeah. Um, that seems like a better option. Well, they did this in the nineties with the flubber. Like that was kind of one of those yeah. moments where they revisited the catalog. They they've done another version of Eddie their... Murphy and Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, yeah, they did the uh... Robert Downey Jr. and Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, yeah, right. Neither of those are Disney though. Right? Are they not? I don't think so. I thought they I were. thought they were. Me and Dustin both thought they were. Yeah. I don't think so. I, but, I mean, be... they did a Shaggy Da with Tim Allen, right? Didn't they do a mm, or for the Shaggy Dog? Yeah, mm. they did another version of that. Yeah, which in itself I think was a maybe a remake. In Canis Corpora Transmuto. They did my favorite Martian. Yes. With uh, Chris Lloyd. 
which is a remake. They remade Parent Trap. Yeah. Yeah. So, with Lindsay Lohan's? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Correct. It's just weird what they choose to do, you know? Well, you got to throw stuff against the wall that sticks, and I don't know why you wouldn't just try to create a new idea. Um, I well, guess it's cheaper to go with what you well, already got. Uh, the new Let's idea is a, a less sure bet. Yeah. I mean, this is a cash grab. Yeah. And people came to it. Yeah. And they watched it. And it, it made well money. marketed. Yeah. I mean, the Daft Punk, I mean, I feel like this made Daft Punk huge for American audiences mm-hmm. so, in a mainstream way. There is a Tron 3 allegedly in production there. What? But they've said from the beginning, as soon as they went in production, that getting uh, Daft Punk back is like a, pri- a chief priority for them, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And the, and the little research I was I was able to do. Hmm. I mean, Daft Punk was a huge part of this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They're a big reason this movie works yeah. at all, at yeah. any level, is that score. Yeah. And it's good. It sounds great. Yeah. yeah. It's really compelling music. Uh, it does a lot of favors for the movie. Um, and they get a fun little cameo in yeah. the club scene, which yeah, I thought was cool. a nice little bit of business. Yes, that was good. Uh, okay. So Clue can't create programs. He can only repurpose them, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. And he killed all the programs that were self-created. Correct. Right? Yeah. Except for Olivia Wilde. Correct. So where did his army of programs come from? Are those all Jeff Bridges designed? Is that is that what the implication is? Uh, yeah, I think Jeff and uh, Bruce Bucks, Leitner, yeah. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. it's like, There's almost something interesting about like malevolent AI versus bene- benevolent AI, right? Like, malevolent? What? Malevolent yeah. and benevolent? So, yeah. you know, malevolent versus benevolent. Oh, correct. Okay, I'm with yeah. you now. Yeah. So we got Olivia Wilde's character who is sort of interested in humanity and wants to learn about being alive through learning more about humanity. And you've got Clue, who is just all about creating a perfectly ordered system because that's how he understands his his primary Life. code. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, she's the oracle. He's the architect. the architect. And yeah, he's the one that is most cursed with, you know, humanity, right? He's made by an imperfect, you know, Jeff Bridges even says that, I understood the world X amount when I made Clue, so that's why he's all fucked up, mm-hmm. right? And so the idea is that this being that comes from the ether of creation is going to be more inherently good than this thing created by humanity. There's an idea there. I don't know that we do anything with it, yeah. but I thought there's a there there. There is, yeah. I mean, again, there's a, there's a movie in which so much of this happens in the real world, and Clue and Killian Murphy come together and do a thing. You know, yeah. I mean, there's or Killian Murphy's in any component of the movie other than that one <laughs> than the scene. Five minutes. There has to be another version of the screenplay where that's a main character, right? Or I, I, an antagonist I, I, of some kind. He is set up so well to be the antagonist. Yes. Yeah, it feels like that. It makes zero sense that he's not that was, in this movie. Yeah, copy or uh, control F, search, delete. <laughs> yeah, it's just like he was taken out of the screenplay. What happened? Well, there's four credited screenwriters on this because if anybody uh... else in this movie could have. Stood next to Jeff Bridges and did something. It was Killing Murphy. Murphy. Yeah, I yeah. feel I do feel bad for for um, Garrett Headland. Garrett Headland. I almost call him Dillahunt, which is a different actor. Yeah, uh, I feel bad for Headland because, like we said, he's good in other stuff. He just is. This movie does not give him anything to do, and so he does not do anything. Yeah, he's just kind of uncompelling as a lead actor. Yeah, which is hurts the movie so it's between that and the uncanny valley shit with young bridges it's just like this movie's got so much working against it that even with an occasional cool idea like uh this ai is flawed because it was made by a flawed 30 something mm-hmm. uh who, who is now looking at a 60 year old version who's a little bit more frustrated with his creation like for every cool idea like that you've got to work against 
all this other baggage. I don't know. It's just uh, it's a damn shame. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's go ahead and render a verdict. I think we've we've talked down this movie quite a bit. So I we think tried we'll, to be nice. Let's hear the unsurprising shelves or trashes. What do you say, Arthur? Uh, right clicks in the trash. Ah, uh, nice. Very good. What do you say, Dalton? Yeah, I'm emptying the trash. I'm, I'm, I don't need this file back ever again. I am never downloading it. Um, no, this never, I, this never happened. I never will speak it of it again. It could be malware. I'm not sure. I, I'm pretty sure it is definitely malware. Uh, so I'm done with Tron. We are all done with Tron. If you love Tron and wish to defend it, Dalton will tell you how. Yes, we're all stupider for having watched it, and if you want to defend this movie to us, then God have mercy on your soul. Uh, But apparently it's got a cult following, uh, just like the original had. So there are Tron legacy lovers out there. Cults are bad. Hey, every once in a while, just to see what the Zoomers are into, I'll search something. I'll go to TikTok and search Tron legacy. And sure enough, there are some Tron legacy clips on on TikTok. People like it. I don't ever search on TikTok. You should. It's, It's useful. I just let the algorithm talk to me. Uh, I, I search stuff on TikTok for uh, for uh, scientific purposes, like finding out who's in the Tron Legacy. Interesting. Some people. So if you've got a long, heartfelt defense for it, you can send it to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com if you want to defend Tron Legacy. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Good Trash Media. And last but certainly not least, if you want to help us keep the lights on uh, so we don't get taken over by Incom. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM and find out what kind of goodies you can get for giving us some ducats. Uh, goodies like having a Blu-ray sent to your house or picking a movie for us to talk about. Uh, did you think it's dumb that we talked about Tron Legacy? Give us some money. You tell us what movie to watch. I don't know, man. It's hard to program a podcast. You can make it better. Speaking of programming this podcast, Arthur, what are we going to talk about next week? We're going to do another one. Oh, yeah. We've got another one in this Oh, at least. we're going to do another one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I can't leave a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, we, we got to go out on a good one. Okay. Well, we're, we're going to try to find solace in our final days as we take a Uh-oh. look at Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Wow, I can't believe we haven't done this movie yet, actually. Huh, We've talked about it a lot in the past, and sometimes it just isn't streaming available. But Is it available on streaming right it now? Is. Where it's is. It's on it? HBO Max. Oh, nice. Uh, nice. Yeah, this is a good movie. I'm excited to talk about it. So there you go. That's what's next. Will you, you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.